The end of the world. It's a concept that terrifies us and one that many of us feel could be on the way. We may have had apocalyptic scenarios like world wars, mass atrocities and atomic bomb attacks in the past, but it was only in 2016, when Britain voted to leave the European Union and some celebrities died, that the end truly seemed nigh. And now that Americans have elected an unsuitable right-wing leader for the first time ever, you might feel that the Earth should just throw in the Earth-sized towel right now. Welcome to Joe Bates Explains It All, and this week, I, Joe Bates, have created a guide to the end of the world. The last two guides were all about modern love, and if you listen to them correctly, you should now have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. But what sort of world has your new relationship been born into? Whilst you and your partner are dancing in the ballroom of love, the threat of Armageddon is hanging over you like an evil chandelier. But in this guide, I'm going to try to reassure you both by tackling the important questions. Is the end of the world happening? When will it happen? How will it happen? In short, the answer to all of these questions is yes, but the answer to the question, should we be worried about it, may surprise you. This is the heaviest subject of all, so I'm going to play a short track so you can take a breather, and after this short musical interlude, we're going to begin part one by charting a brief history of apocalypse anxiety. The End of the World as We Know It by I Feel Fine by R.E.M., one of the American alternative rock band's biggest tracks. Of course, both parts of that song's title have been proven to be a lie. Most respectable historians agree that the world didn't end in 1987 when the song was released, and as for the I Feel Fine bit, lead singer Michael Stipe has revealed in subsequent interviews that he actually suffers with crippling depression. However, the reason R.E.M. didn't go for the more accurate title, It's Not the End of the World as We Know It, But I Still Feel Awful, is because, firstly, no one likes a crybaby, and secondly, we as people spend a huge amount of time thinking about, and worrying about, the world ending. In the recent past, we have channeled this anxiety into our choice of entertainment, and in my lifetime this has predominantly been through the big budget disaster movie. Especially during the 90s, countless films such as Armageddon, Waterworld and Independence Day reflected back our fears about our precious earth being smashed to bits, covered in water or having all its major tourist attractions destroyed by aliens. We went to see these films because it made us temporarily feel better, because the movies reassured us that Hollywood stars like Bruce Willis and Will Smith could step in if a meteor headed towards earth or if aliens started trying to fight us. However, we weren't reassured for long, because there were so many other disaster scenarios that these films didn't cover. Whilst it was a possibility these celebrities could help out in the more physically straightforward apocalypse situations, would they be able to help shield ice caps from an ever hotter sun? 
Would they be able to sort out the issue with the desktop clock that was the root of the Millennium Bug problem? It seemed very unlikely, so the anxiety continued unabated. After the Millennium, films finally attempted to grapple with these more complex issues and began to highlight climate change as the biggest risk to the world's safety. However, the fear that the subject inspired was so strong that the filmmakers couldn't even focus on their job properly, which meant we ended up with incoherent and rubbish films like The Day After Tomorrow and films like An Inconvenient Truth, where the filmmaker was so worried about climate change he forgot to put in any good special effects and accidentally cast a former American ex-president in a role originally written with Vin Diesel in mind. Recently, it might seem that our anxiety about the end of the world has died down. There's definitely been fewer apocalyptic films and this suggests that we don't think about it as much of an issue anymore. But it's not that we're not worried about the end of the world. It's just that with the rise of the internet and through learning more about each other through Facebook and Twitter, as well as comments on things like YouTube videos and news articles, we now know enough about our fellow man to completely hate each other and therefore any film which tries to get us to worry about the end of the world because it'll wipe all the other people out is not going to be successful. But fear of the world ending is still very much with us, only instead of trying to deal with it through films, we are now mostly trying to deal with it through politics. When you look at global politics, pretty much all major treaties, conventions and decisions are based on some level around stopping the world from ending. For instance, it's a reason why we sometimes try not to go to war. The UN and other peacekeeping agencies are designed to prevent wars, which initially seems strange. After all, wars benefit the economy, inspire high quality films, novels and computer games, can also have great benefits for a country's population, such as when the British people were given the NHS as a reward for beating Hitler. But in spite of all the positive aspects of war, we created the UN and other peacekeeping agencies because we know that if war goes too far, there's an increased chance the world might end, and that's something we don't want. It's the same reason we try to stop climate change. If you told someone from the past that now we as a people were trying to find ways to stop the weather getting warmer and the water levels increasing, they'd call you a prize buffoon or some other insult from the past. Because who doesn't like warmer weather? And in terms of protecting ice caps from melting and water levels rising, most people love the sea and would welcome more of it, and they either have no strong opinions either way on icebergs or are skeptical of them because of films like Titanic. But in spite of these things, we want to stop climate change because of the possibility it will eventually lead to the world ending. So even though there haven't been any good films about it for quite some time, the political focus on issues such as climate change shows that the fear of the end of the world is still very much here. Some of the fear undoubtedly comes from not being sure how or when it will happen, with lots of conflicting reports and theories. So after a 20 second breather with some more ominous music, we'll go into the most likely ways the world will end and how each of these scenarios will play out. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's, it's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world. Part 2. The different ways the world might end. When I began to make this guide, I hoped to help people with their anxiety over the world ending by revealing exactly how and when it's going to happen. With this in mind, I approached the scientific community in the hope that I could get some hard facts. But in spite of all their fancy degrees, they couldn't give me a definite answer. But I needed something to bring back to you guys, 
so after I pressed them further, they managed to narrow things down a bit and give me some key facts and percentages. And with them, we can have a run-through of the most likely ways the Armageddon is going to go down, according to science. Top of the list is global warming. This is basically the Earth's protection against the sun getting weaker and everywhere getting much hotter, icebergs melting, water levels rising and so on. So how will the apocalypse play out in this scenario? Well, at first, it'll be brilliant. The sunny weather will lead to deprived British towns like Blackpool and Bognor Regis becoming vibrant seaside resorts again, with overseas visitors flocking to them and sails of rock going through the roof. And as global warming caused the water levels to rise even further, deprived British inland towns such as Barnsley and Peterborough will be the next to become vibrant seaside resorts, and sails of rock will remain steady. As the temperature continues to soar, even the most serious of climate change scientists take a short break from their beach volleyball game in Stoke to say actually this whole gloom and warming business is pretty great after all. But then things start to go wrong. The intensity of the heat becomes so severe that it causes people to set alight. People begin to find it very difficult to do their jobs effectively whilst in this state and productivity goes way down and the economy crashes badly. This causes a toxic mix of mass unemployment and everything being on fire and after a year or two of this, people can't take it anymore and eventually everyone dies a fiery pauper's death. According to the scientist I spoke to, the chance of this exact scenario taking place is 30%. Sounds bad doesn't it, but some scientists think that actually the opposite could happen and that the sun running out of energy could mean the world ending in cold darkness. Again, at first it'll be brilliant. Building on the success of the Dining in the Dark restaurant in London, people find the complete lack of light gives them a renewed appreciation of texture and heightens their senses of smell and hearing. People feel better about themselves because of their new ability to empathise fully with the blind. And they no longer have to make interested looking faces when people are talking about their job or their pets. Silly divisions based on race or physical appearance fade away and we're happy to pay the price of constantly bumping into things in order to live in this pitch black utopia. But then, things start to go wrong. Whilst people can get around in the dark to begin with, eventually everyone starts losing their bearings and getting lost. This leads to an exhausting and tedious few years where every person and animal perishes by falling off cliffs or into rivers. The plants are mostly fine, but you can't really call a world of plants a proper world. So when the final person stumbles to their doom, life on Earth will be done. Science confirmed that the chances of this end of the world scenario taking place is 30%. And the third way the world might end is by war. Since weapons of mass destruction have proliferated, we've been lucky that our world leaders have mostly all been sound and therefore they've only been used sparingly. But this run of decent world leaders can't last forever and it's only a matter of time before a new, more destructive than ever war breaks out. At first it'll be brilliant. The opening battles will go very well and it will feel just like the Olympics where we win loads of things because we've got more money but interpret it as us being inherently better or wanting it more. You'll even get famous Olympians to appear on TV to bolster morale and images such as Sir Stephen Redgrave standing on a podium in Tehran belting out God Save the Queen to commemorate the West's annexation of Iran will stir even the most unpatriotic of viewers to tears. But then things start to go wrong. 
Some of the West Fords, such as North Korea, do not have the same resources as us, but present a strong united front because they've never been allowed to argue with each other or the government. Whilst on our side, old arguments resurface in the ranks. North versus South, Labour versus Tory, Oasis versus Blur, and the infighting significantly weakens our forces. There follows a stalemate between the sides for many years, until eventually the leaders on both sides agree that the conflict has gotten way too boring, and decide to each use their weapons of mass destruction to end the conflict and the world once and for all. The precise chances of this happening are 20%. So it seemed from my initial talk with scientists that either global warming, war or the sun going out will be the reason for the end of the world, which is what I thought anyway. But what if the end of the world doesn't come from any of these issues that are all high on the political agenda and actually comes from somewhere we're not expecting and therefore not doing anything substantial to stop? One of these issues, according to scientists, could be the bee population dying out. The scientist I spoke to told me that bees are declining in number and when I asked why should I care, it's because bees are a key part of the food production process. Indeed, they're absolutely essential to it, so if bees do die out, we will eventually run out of all food, starting of course with honey. We need food to live, so running out of it will eventually lead to the end of the world. And the scientists I spoke to told me the chances of the apocalypse happening this way is 20%, the same chance as it happening through war. It's actually worth talking about bees in a bit more detail because their case tells us a lot about the way we think of the end of the world. So the scientists I spoke to agreed that the decline of the bee population could eventually have hugely catastrophic consequences for the world, just like global warming or a war could. But despite this impending destruction, we don't seem very interested in hearing the bee story. We haven't seen any Hollywood blockbusters connecting bees with the end of the world. Michael Bay would never have made a film called Bee Armageddon, where Bruce Willis becomes an urban beekeeper in an attempt to repopulate the world's bee population, because it obviously would have been box office poison. And it's the same on television, where bees are considered too niche of a subject to engage with, and even BBC4 would decide against doing a documentary about them, and they recently had a full week of programmes about canoes. I know what you're thinking, what about the 2007 animated picture Bee Movie from DreamWorks? That was about bees. Well, superficially it was, but really the film was a hit not because of people caring about bees, but because of its main star, Jerry Seinfeld, who voiced the main bee, and because it used a lot of the same material as his hugely popular sitcom, Seinfeld. Bee Movie emulated Seinfeld directly, with its main storyline of the two principal bees dating a lot of female bee characters that seemed way too attractive for them, and then dumping these attractive female bees for reasons like having massive hands or speaking too loudly. There was even a callback to a classic Seinfeld episode with the subplot of the contest to see which bee could go the longest without masturbating. And even though Bee Movie used these elements, which made Seinfeld one of the biggest sitcoms in American history, still didn't do particularly well at the box office. Compare it to other similar films, certainly made a lot less money than the DreamWorks film Ants with a Z, and was even outperformed by the much less popular Parasites, also with a Z. B-movies' lack of success can certainly be put down to people not being bothered about bees. 
across all of popular culture, but you simply haven't been able to make a proper impact. Even though they're the only animal that purposely makes food for us, and even though their plight could be connected with the end of the world. But their sad story actually brings us conveniently onto the next section, which details the three main reasons why actually, there's no point worrying about the end of the world at all. Part 3. Reasons not to care about the end of the world. Reason 1. There's nothing we can do about it. The potentially apocalyptic decline of bees and the fact that it doesn't get much attention shows that just because something might mean the end of the world doesn't mean people will necessarily care about it. As we showed earlier, the bee issue has a 20% chance of being the cause of the end of the world and that's the same chance of it being caused by war. But comparing people's interest in bees to their interest in, say, terrorism tells us quite a lot. Bees and terrorists share many things. A highly organised and hierarchical social structure, furious anger which sometimes leads them to sacrifice themselves for their cause, and both follow a very strict dress code which they rarely stray from. But despite these similarities, terrorists have enjoyed much greater airtime. There's technically no higher chance that terrorists will end up being the cause of the end of the world, but people are still much more interested in their comings and goings than they are of the bee population. Even something high on the agenda, such as global warming, struggles to influence people enough to change their behaviour. You might do your best trying to protect the ozone layer by driving an electric car and only using CFC deodorants while squatting down indoors to reduce the chance of the fumes reaching the sky. But how is that going to help if most people won't do anything to stop it? And a large minority of people actually think the scientific community has made the whole thing up for a laugh. Even if we could accurately predict what the cause of the end of the world will be, as individuals, is it likely that we really can do anything to stop it? The answer is no, and worrying about things you've got no control over is literally the definition of insanity, so you shouldn't worry about the end of the world. Reason 2. You eventually won't care anyway. It doesn't take much to lose interest in a subject if it doesn't directly impact you and eventually you will realise that the apocalypse probably comes under this banner. For starters, it's almost certain that it won't happen in our lifetimes. If someone came up to you and threatened to beat you up in a hundred years time, you wouldn't really take this threat seriously because you'll be safe and dead by that point. And effectively, that's what scientists are doing when they warn us about the end of the world, as none of the end of the world scenarios are due to happen any time soon. Scientists have realised this and have switched their strategy to saying we should worry about the end of the world because of the future generations, our descendants. However, there are problems with this too. What about the people who choose not to have any descendants, for instance? It's very hard to motivate yourself to buy an electric car out of concern for someone else's unborn great-grandkids. And also, if the recent EU referendum has proven anything, it's that older people eventually are motivated by making decisions to make younger people's lives worse. And so by the time we're older, it's likely that we'll deliberately be doing things with a view to actually bringing about the end of the world, rather than trying to stop it. So in conclusion then, you shouldn't worry about the end of the world because you can't do anything to stop it, and even if you could, you probably eventually won't want to. But that does seem like a pessimistic note to end on. And anyway, in spite of all the scientific evidence, there's going to be some listeners who still feel anxious that the world could end in our lifetimes. So for them, I'm going to end on an optimistic note, on the final reason you shouldn't worry about the end of the world. Reason 3. Because 
if the apocalypse does happen in our lifetime, it'll probably be brilliant. Dying during the literal end of the world will undoubtedly be the best way to die. You're going to be able to do everything you've wanted to do, but haven't felt able to. You'll finally be able to download all of the apps you were worried cost too much or wouldn't be a productive use of your time, because who cares anymore? You'll be able to try all the different legal highs, and not just at music festivals or raves, but at dinners with your family. They won't be worried because the world is going to end before you have the chance to move on to the harder stuff. And you'll be able to break all of the other rules you've wanted to, like listening to music on headphones at way above the recommended volume. And you can try radical new approaches to small talk at work, because even if people don't respond well to it, there's not going to be any long-lasting consequences beyond a couple of weeks of awkwardness before everyone on earth perishes. So that's the end of the world fully explained. If it does happen, it'll be great, but it probably won't happen anytime soon. You're probably feeling quite reassured by all that, but it's time to get anxious again, because the apocalypse not happening means you're going to have to grow old in this terrible world. But you only need to worry about that for another week, because the next episode of Joe Bates Explains It All is a guide to ageing. But for now, I've been Joe Bates, and I look forward to advising you again next week.